Hello and welcome to the Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast. My name is Dave Ahrens and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Unbundled Attorney. In this podcast, we interview many of our provider attorneys, as well as some of the leading experts in the industry to isolate the best practices for building internet-generated leads and how to ethically and effectively offer unbundled legal services and other more affordable options in your practice. For more information about our services, visit www.unbundledattorney.com. Hello, welcome everyone. Today's episode is going to be just an incredible conversation with an attorney that we've been working with for quite some time now out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Michael Greenstein. And he has more more experience offering unbundled legal services than probably most attorneys that we know. He even tells a, t- a story about <laughs> he has a hobby for bookbinding. And back in the day, he tells a story about a lesson he learned from a woman at a flea market that got him starting offering unbundled legal services 15, 20 years ago, back before it even had a name and it had, was known as a concept. So we cover the gamut. We go into uh, from start to finish, how to offer unbundled legal services, types of options he offers, the price points, how to protect yourself when offering unbundled to make sure that you have a really good error checking system, that you're making sure you're not missing any details that you would normally be missing in a, in a full bundled, full representation case. And we talk about some of the other things as well. I mean, his diary system, how he is running his firm and growing it, uh, some tips for hiring new associates, business rules, strategies. Uh, I mean, the, the conversation really covers the gamut. So you're really going to enjoy the episode here. Uh, I also want to jump in here and just apologize in advance because the sound quality on my end is not very solid. I was traveling at the time and the connection was not very good, so... Uh, there are some times when uh, when I'm speaking, it breaks up a little bit. But as far as we can tell, the entire call is completely audible, but the quality is not as good as perhaps we would like it to be. So I wanted to apologize in advance for that. But with that being said, this is an awesome episode. We're going to jump right in the interview with Michael Greenstein, one of our provider attorneys in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All right. Well, I am a happy camper today. This is Dave Ahrens, CEO of Unbundled Attorney, and I'm very happy to be interviewing our guest today, Mr. Michael Greenstein, who is a unbundled provider attorney uh, out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In fact, uh, just before the call, me and Michael were kind of trying to figure out uh, how how long it's been since uh, he started working with us and taking leads. And I think we figured out uh, it was back in June of 2014, right, Mike? June of 2014. It was uh, all right. So that's uh, and I've been here ever since. Yep. So uh, and we're recording this in uh, January of 2016. So he's about a good uh, about a month, which is a year and a half of uh, experience under his belt. And uh, from what we've been hearing, he's been doing pretty great. So uh, maybe we could do Michael. Maybe you could start off with uh, just sharing a little bit about your background and uh, maybe a bit about your practice, maybe what makes you unique, and uh, how we got to where we're at now. Sure. Well. Um, I was licensed at the very end of 1991, started uh, practicing family law in any form at all in 1992, and full-time since 95. Um, But I spent six years in a partnership that did not work out very well in the end. Mostly, I, um, I had disabled my own ability to engage business as part of the conditions of my entering it. Um, simply because I was told, oh, they've got so much business and you're paying to get leads and whatnot, um, get rid of that expense. And I did. And then six years later, uh, 
they decided I wasn't bringing in enough business, and so they got rid of me. Spent another year working with another attorney in a highly corporatized framework that created a situation where I had been brought in for my experience and was being micromanaged, which didn't work out very well. So in February of 2010, with a boot print on my behind, I decided I, I was pretty well done with wearing anybody else's collar, and I was going to do this on my own. I set up an office in my home. The parlor of the house turned into dedicated office space so that clients who came in were asked whether it was okay to have a cat on the desk. And interestingly, most of them said it was just fine. (laughs) Um, And so I had taken some clients with me, but the problem is, so here I was, old in practice, young in business, And I was in a situation where I was making far too much of my money from far too few clients, which is always a danger. And it got pretty difficult for me. I decided to try to get online. I figured I would create a situation where all roads lead to Rome marketing-wise and my website would be Rome. I paid ridiculous amounts of money that was hardly worth it to a company to set up and maintain a professional website for me. I had written some informational articles. And in the meantime, I was writing additional articles and putting them on a blog. It was a WordPress blog that was linked to the professionally prepared website. There came a point where the money was just killing me, and I realized that I was making about seven times the traffic at my blog than I was out of the professionally prepared website. So I finally said, heck with this, turn the blog into a fully fledged website on its own. And uh, after a brief bumpy period, it's performing very, very well. I got involved in a couple Hmm. of pay-per-lead services. I started getting involved in NOLO, first of all, and then I got a call from somebody at Family Legal Help, which turned into Unbundled, and I'm Mm -hmm. stepping down NOLO hugely, and I'm stepping up Unbundled. So that that gives you an indication of my experience. Maybe you could chat a little bit about what led you to the decision to continue taking leads from Unbundled Attorney and and not take them, or or at least, you know, bring them down, I think is what you're saying, from NOLO. What kind of results have you been seeing in Unbundled Attorney? Well, actually, before I do that, let let me... throw something in about why I started them in the first place and why I was an easy for family legal help. I mean, the difficulty is when you're young in business and you have no ready source, you absolutely need something coming in and it needs to come in quick and it needs to come in affordably without a whole lot of front-loaded money. And a pay-per-lead service, as long as the leads are quality leads, is a perfect way for an underemployed attorney to begin ramping up a practice with a very short-term return on investment. And it made all the difference in the world. The reason that I stuck with Unbundled and I'm stepping back on NOLO has to do with return on investment in two different ways, Uh, money and time. Um, I had occasion a couple of weekends ago to do an exhausting bit of data collation for my practice, where the money's coming from, where the business is coming from, and it was only disco that got me through. Thank heaven for Pandora. And what I discovered is, roughly speaking, 
from NOLO, I received over a thousand leads in my field, in my geographic region, that netted me during the same calendar year, oh, now I'm looking, I want to say 27 new clients. And after labor costs, after um, cost of the investment itself, I was left with a return on investment of 136%. Basically, out of the entire calendar year, I profited by about $7,000. In terms of the time lost, there's an awful lot of sand for very, very few diamonds. And the time lost to try to pursue junk leads was killing me. Um, Mm. As far as unbundled is concerned, I wound up with about 320 leads that brought in after labor, after the cost of the leads themselves, about just north of $25,000. So not only did that work out to be about a 190% return on investment, but in terms of the time, um, I made 22 clients out of 320 leads as opposed to 27 clients out of over 1,000. Um, they're not making right. any more time in the day. You only get what you get. And while I'm happy to say sleep is for underachievers, I don't necessarily want to go without it completely. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that is so easy to overlook or not factor in properly is the amount of time you're investing in the in your new client acquisition, you know, because your time is valuable. What's one of the things that attorneys, you know, get billed for? It's why people, a lot of people want to become an attorney is you can bill, you know, $400 an hour. And so if you're having to put that time in, you know, more than necessary into acquiring those clients, uh, then that's time that is not being invested into uh, performing services. And, and obviously those are, you know, billable hours for your firm. And so, yeah. you know, the ability to, to be able to bring that client in. Pardon me? I said, especially when you grow. I mean, I'm at a point now where I, where I started out um, and it was just me and my cat running a law firm. Now it is me, an administrator paralegal who happens to be the best one I've ever married, plus two associate attorneys. And so the more we grow, the more my time becomes valuable for the purposes of keeping the firm operating and growing. And so a higher quality lead becomes extremely important. So basically, I right, absolutely. Know. I mean, yep, you absolutely. Know, if, if and, you've got plenty of time I, for all junk leads, then uh, anything that, that gets you even a dollar's worth of profit is, is worthwhile. But at this point, I'm far, far past that. Right. Yeah, and it has to become worthwhile so that your time invested also balances out in what you're seeing as a return. And that's the most important thing, I think. At a certain point, you know, if you want to grow, you have to grow beyond what it is you're already currently doing, which means that has to be a worthwhile investment to be investing that time as opposed to in other things you could be doing, like working on your blog or working on some other traffic sources as well. Yeah, I mean, once, once you've gotten past the gasping phase of a new business where you're no longer so desperate that it doesn't matter if, if the client obviously can't afford you or can't even afford to pay a full retainer, you need that partial retainer, and so you're willing to take the risk. Um, but in the end, if you're going to escalate a business, it's about dress for the job you want rather than the job you have, even when you're working for yourself. That's right. It's a great analogy. 
So uh, given that uh, just in the last calendar year alone, you've fielded almost uh, 1,330 leads or so, something like that. So you certainly have uh, developed quite a, a great deal of experience in fielding leads. And so maybe what we could do is kind of dive into uh, your process from when, you know, at least we can talk about our system. When a lead comes in through a bundle of attorney, maybe you could take us from, you know, first of all, uh, do you call the lead personally yourself or do you have your assistant, your administrative assistant and spouse to make that call for you? Uh, and depending on that, uh, how long is that usually that first call? I mean, we could just start with, you know, do you make the call? How long is that first call? And what is that the, the goal of that first call? Are you having them come in for consultation and is that paid or are you, and, and, and to what amount of depth do you go into sure. on that first call and, and for how long? Well, actually, interestingly enough, and this is something else that, from my, in my experience, distinguishes unbundled from NOLO, um, a lot of the unbundled leads end up calling me first. I've had calls from unbundled leads before I even got the email. Um, so in, in terms of quality of lead, that's, that's tell number one that this is something that works pretty well. Um, I'm generally right. the one who will call the leads back because I figure people want to hear from the attorney. They want to be, they want to receive a prompt outreach. They want to know who they're dealing with. I mean, the difficulty, especially in a heavily competitive market like this one in any urban area, You've got to have an edge. You've got to have something that sets you apart. And I've had any number of prospective clients and clients tell me through the years that they really appreciate my taking the time on the phone when a lot of attorneys just want to get them into the office and get money before they even know who they're dealing with. So the way I phrase it to clients right. is, you know, I want to take, and I, I try to keep them down. I try to keep them to around 10 minutes but I, it, I have to exercise some judgment when to bring the conversation around to money. Sometimes you do it right away. Sometimes you explore the situation in a little bit more depth as with, without creating an attorney-client relationship. Um, and eventually, there, you know, I, I, I tell clients, I, they need to know who they're dealing with, and I need to know what they're dealing with. And people are very appreciative about right. that. I mean, there are always going to be people who are looking to call the legal warm line and pump you for as much information as they can. And you have to be conscious of it. And after a while, you begin to recognize the signs. Um, but there comes a point during the conversation, after I've got a basic picture of what it is we're dealing with, and I have a good sense of where things need to go and what the client actually needs, that's when I'll bring the conversation around to money. And the way I generally phrase it is, I'll say, so it sounds like you've got a lot to, we've got a lot to talk about together, and unfortunately, it's going to be a lot more than I can do either over the phone or without charging. So what I usually will do in this situation is I will schedule a meeting for the two of us to sit down face-to-face -face across a desk, and I've got several goals for that meeting. First of all, I want to make sure that I have answered as many of your questions as can be answered at this point. And if I'm doing my job right, that's going to include the ones you didn't know to ask because I do this every day and you probably never wanted to deal with this in the first place. Um, I want to go through the law with you. I want to make sure that you've got a good understanding of how it applies to your situation. 
And I think you're going to find that it's not especially mysterious. It's just involved. There's a lot of it. And anything is mysterious when you're looking outside in for the first time. Um, but I think you're going to find there's a lot of common sense associated with it. It's just legislated common sense. Um, I very much right. want to, if there are any court papers, I want to take a look at them, make sure that I understand where the court thinks things are, because that's always going to be our square one. And finally, if you decide you want to bring us on board and now is the time to take action, I want to come up with a very clear to-do list of action items that will give us an opportunity to hit the ground running. So let me ask you, is now the time to get us scheduled to sit down and go through this? And that's their opportunity either to say, no, I'm not ready yet, or yes, please, let's do this, or ask me additional questions, which is usually one of my clues that this person is looking for free information, and that's that. I give them a fixed fee. Uh, right now I charge $200. Um, so it's a little bit of a loss leader because I'll budget up to two hours for the meeting on the theory that I want to give them everything they need at the first meeting, come up with a clear plan of action, make sure that they know what are the moves that they shouldn't be making, and if they're causing their own problems, give them the information to help them stop. Um, it makes it, it, They get very appreciative. Now, I'm also lucky because while I'm taking this time, I've got my associates billing by the hour outside of my office, so I'm the gateway. I'm much more these days practicing law firm than I am practicing law because I've got force multipliers other offices. Right. Say, and then we'll sit down, and I'll, I'll take the time necessary to go through everything because I want to make sure that not only do they feel like they're in good hands, but that we've covered the things that need to be covered so that we're working as a team. Because I often have occasion to tell clients, look, you don't drop your life off at my office the way you drop a car off at the mechanic and expect anything good to come of it. I work best in partnership. And I'll tell clients, my general approach is your goals, my methods, but I want to reality check and evaluate the achievability of your goals, and I want to review my methods with you so that if there are any problems, we experience them across a desk before we experience them across a courtroom. And people, again, they tend to be very appreciative of it because they are, you always have to remain conscious of the fact that these people are paying you money that they probably didn't want to have to spend and might not be able to afford to trust you with some of the hardest things that they have ever had to experience. And it is as important for them to feel in good hands as it is to be in good hands, not only because it makes them easier to work with um, and to have the, the better likelihood of giving a good review, but if they feel like they're in good hands, then if there's a problem, they're more likely to turn to you before an issue escalates into a crisis than to do a game changer on their own and then expect you to clean up after them. So it's right, exactly. worth, I find that it's very worth taking the time. I find that clients tend to be much more appreciative of it and much more responsive to it when I have to give them the bad news or the hard truths. Yes, and this is especially when, you're, when the source of the clients that you're speaking with are coming through a lead generation funnel in the sense that they weren't referred to you by you know, a close family member or someone that they already trust that has a great deal of experience and so you don't have the same level of credibility going into that relationship than you would if, if they were referred by someone else, right? And so 
as a result of that, if you're able to put a little bit more time in the front end to build that relationship, to build that trust, like you're talking about that, so the person feels more comfortable, feels like you're really, uh, you, you, you care enough to get into the details, you care about the situation, you're taking the time to fully understand what's going on, then it gives them a, a great deal of confidence and they feel a lot more comfortable, like you're saying, with making that initial step of working with you, uh, especially considering that it's the first time they've had a chance to meet you. And I think that's a lot of times what a lot of lawyers make the mistake is they're so used to getting you know, third-party referrals and they get into more of a lead generation, which is a little bit more cold market than perhaps you know, just referral business and think the same strategy can work. But in reality, you know, when you're taking this type of a lead, it really is important that you take that time up front to build that relationship and build that confidence in the client Thoroughly. you're describing. Thoroughly. I mean, that's, that's pretty well my default simply because I don't have a history of having a strong referral base that's starting to change. But wherever the client came from, it matters to make them feel welcome. And one of the, what I didn't say earlier is when I first call an unbundled lead, Bear in mind, they don't think of themselves as a lead. They think of themselves as, I am asking to be contacted by a lawyer. And so what I will do is treat the call as if they intended to reach out and contact me. So I'll I'll say, hi, this is attorney Michael Greenstein. You reached out to me through the web looking for information on a divorce matter, and I was wondering if now is a good time to talk. That's a perfect introduction. Yeah, I figure they don't know who I am. I want to give them in a nutshell who this guy is and, and, and reinforce that they reached out to me, and here I am, let's talk in a very colloquial way. And it's another reason for the lawyer to do it rather than to have a secretary or an administrator or or a staff member take it because you're already relationship building. And really, the strength of any practice, especially a small practice in the modern market, is going to be about relationship building because if people begin to leave good reviews for you online, that is gold that cannot be purchased. Um, these days, real is everything. I mean, all of us who practice law are basically just another tree in the forest. And all, you know, why your tree? Who are you? What's that all about? And recognizing where they're coming from, how they are entering into the situation, and what they need to hear before they articulate it is going to make a huge difference, especially when they've got plenty of options. Some of them might be less expensive than you. Um, they already don't have somebody to call from a referral or they wouldn't have reached out through the web in the first place. Absolutely. And, and, and that introduction you said, said, you know, hey, this is Michael Greenstein. Uh, I'm responding to your request for assistance with a divorce matter. So it reminds them immediately that they initiated the contact and that you're responding to their request. And is this a good time for you to talk? Do you have something to write with? And then it's like, okay, now you have their attention. And then from there, they're initiating that initial call. They're the ones reaching out. And like you said before, I wanted to piggyback on that. Those reviews are so important. We have a feature on our website or in our system where lawyers can cultivate reviews from clients we send them that they've done good work for and that can then post those on the site because that's an incredible amount of social proof, especially nowadays when you have websites like Amazon you know, and you know, eBay and so forth where people make a lot of decisions based on the reviews from other clients, if you can get those reviews and put it live on the site, on your website or in our in our in our, our service, put that on your profile page. It's really going to give that client a lot more confidence in uh, in your 
uh, when they're able to hear from the user services as well. Yeah, and I can tell you in terms, one of the things that I have done in to make things easier to get reviews is um, I have gone to tinyurl.com. Basically, you want to make it as easy as possible for clients to do what you want them to do. And sometimes they won't just do it. You have to reach out to them. I mean, sometimes I will go as far as, as picking up the phone and saying, hey, I'm, I'm checking back, wanted to see how things are going. Also, I wanted to make you aware if I can convince you to do it. I'd, uh, if you're happy with what I did for you, I hope you'll say some lovely things for me online and I can send you some links. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they'll say they'll do and not. But it's easier if you go after them than if you just say, I hope they will. Um, and uh, Absolutely. Google reviews, you need five Google reviews for your stars to show up. If you do a search that comes up with map results on Google, the ones that you see stars, the difference between them and the other ones is they have five reviews or more. And it's stupid. It shouldn't make the difference. But you know what? When everybody is a tree in the forest, anything that sets you apart is good, as long as it sets you apart in the right way. Um, the other thing, there is a website that a lot of people might not know about. Um, the website is reviews.birdeye.com. That's B-I-R-D, like flying thing, E-Y-E, like you've got two of them above your nose. Um, reviews.birdeye.com, and uh, they collate reviews. I know they draw from Avo. I know they draw from Google. I think they draw from Yelp. I'm not sure where else they draw from. But if, if you want to do to find out what other people have said about you, that's a good place to check. If they, and if, if the reviews are good, I've actually put a link to my reviews on BirdEye to my website. So with a section that says, don't take my word for it. See what other people have to say about me. You might right. as well use whatever yep, marketing tools are out there. Absolutely, to build that reputation, and especially you know when you again when you're working with leads and so forth, it's really helpful for them to have that third party validation from other people that work with your services. A lot of people who have called me lately, who have found me online, have mentioned the reviews because people, you know, we're an expensive service. People want to check us out. Yeah, and rightfully so, too. I mean, we're talking about, especially in family law, which is uh, your primary area of practice, Correct. Uh, it's just the rights of their kids on the line, so their ability to be a parent to their child. So the selection of their attorney can be a critical component in their ability to not only uh, get custody, but also to afford to bring the case to fruition as well. So uh, it's, it's wise for folks to take the time to make that decision, and if you can give them these reviews and give them that that third-party validation is going to really make their job a lot easier to, to choose your firm. Very true. So with that, let's switch gears a little bit. So now, so you've done the consultation, come into your office. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about, because I know you do at, at times offer some, maybe you could talk a little bit about those options and why you offer them in the first place and why you've been you know, open to providing that to certain clients and you know, how that's worked out for you. Well, it, it, it's, it's a little strange how it came about. I've, it's, it's, I've been offering unbundled service longer than I knew it had a name. Hmm. I mean, we do have an expensive service, and whether people can afford us or not is an interesting question. And 
what I always warn people about in advance, because I tell people I would rather risk losing your business than to have you give me a bunch of money and wish you'd never heard my name. Um, and also I'll tell them I have no illusion about what we cost and how it can add up. And I'm an investment, but I'm only a good investment if I leave you better off or considerably less worse off than if you hadn't worked with me. And I had a fellow who called me once and said, I haven't seen my child in six weeks, and I think I'll have your, enough money for your retainer in two months. I said, you know, right now the riskiest thing you can do is nothing at all. Um, and I talked to someone like that about Unbundled, and I always make it, make them, make it available to them. Um, the way I started to, and I know I'm getting off a little bit, I will get back to the topic. Um, the best way that I have found to describe Unbundled service versus traditional service is that if in traditional service you're in a two-seater race car and you're in the passenger seat and the professional driver is in the driver's seat, Going unbundled switches seats, so you are relying on your own reflexes, but you've got a professional driver sitting next to you to offer you guidance, which is a whole lot better than if that seat is empty, and if that's what your resources permit, at least it gives you a legal team in the background that is a la carte that you can use as you need to draft documents, review documents, and give you a sense of how best to approach the situation. Getting back to the actual answer to your question, um, I one of my hobbies is bookbinding, and during the more difficult days of my practice, where I incidentally had a whole lot more free time, um, I tried to sell my work at craft fairs. And what I found, there was a lady who I had met several times who sold beaded, beaded jewelry and beaded keepsakes and other things, really nice stuff, um, who gave me her philosophy of successful marketing. She said, you need something to cover all price points. The guy who wants to buy a, a $10 bangle for his girlfriend and the person who is looking for something really unique and special that sits on the table in splendor, and if nobody buys it, they can at least see what you're capable of, and that will inspire them to buy even the less expensive items you produce. And so if you have a range right. of material on your table and something for everyone, you're going to make more sales. And that is exactly what made me start doing unbundled service before I knew what it was called. Um, because it was a way that I could work with people who did not have the money for a retainer um, and felt confident enough or desperate enough to represent themselves but didn't want to do it without help and that they could afford. And so can you talk maybe a little bit about the types of options you offer? Do you do document preparation? Do you document review? Uh, mm -hmm. And maybe talk a little bit about you know maybe the different price points. And then also, you know, if you do document preparation, do you then – kind of walk them through how to file it themselves, or do you, do you file it, do you file in your state, uh, do. do they serve the other party, do you, and do you ever do limited appearances, for example, so maybe you can talk a little bit about those we options generally and how you structure limited appearance. Well. Now, I will always give clients the opportunity to either go unbundled or when they are to upgrade to uh, traditional representation, or if they started out having us active on the case as 
a, as advocate as well as counselor, um, to give them the opportunity to downgrade. And I'll, I'll, when I see that finances are starting to be an issue, I will try to have that conversation with them early enough that they're not utterly depleted. Because my job, as much as I am perfectly happy to make a living addressing their issues, my job is to serve their interests. And that includes in terms of how they work with my firm. When it comes to unbundled clients, everything always begins with the same meeting, whether they're going to be going traditional, whether they're going to be going unbundled. Either way, I want to sit down with them. I want to come up with a course of action. I want to give them the opportunity to make decision-making that is as informed as possible without a working crystal ball. And given that, I will draft documents as they need. I'll We'll, we'll check in with them as necessary. We will answer their questions. So really, they get to dial up the level of our participation at that point. I mean, the fee per hour is the same for traditional service as unbundled service. But in both cases, since I have the advantage of having associates, one of the things I try to do in-house is to make sure that the work is being done by the person who charges the least who can still do the job to my specifications. So that's another right. way that clients can save money because right now I'm, my name's on the letterhead. I'm the most expensive guy in the place. Um, but while I'm $225 an hour, my lowest cost associate is 150 So that's another way that I can have something on the table at all prices. Um, yeah, and you make and, a really good point with regard to the, the billable hour as far as you know, a lot of attorneys assume, you know, the only way to make really good money in the legal industry is to take really big retainers and take on big cases, right? The $5,000 up front and so forth. Uh, and that, and that by offering them bundled legal services, somehow uh, they would be getting, you know, less money or it's a cheaper alternative by, you know, offering these types of options to folks that maybe don't have the amount of, you know, that, that, those large retainers up front. But like you, like you, you know, definitely pointed out that, whether you're working with on a case for 20 hours or two hours, those hours you're investing in that case is still being billed at your normal hourly rate of 225 or whatever, whichever associate's working at it. And so that's a billable hour, whether it's a, a client you're going to work with for 40 hours or four hours, you're still seeing that, uh, that time invested in the case. And then, you know, obviously there's the added advantage we can talk about in a minute of starting to look at more of a flat rate model too. Yeah, but, but there's more to it than that. I mean, there is... There is the fact that a client who starts out unbundled may get to a point where he or she feels out of his or her depth and like, okay, I'm, I'm pushing the button. I think I want you coming to this proceeding. Um, but also, there is a utility in a diverse client base. I would, in some ways, if you're going to make the same money from one client or you're going to make the money from a dozen clients who are each requiring fewer services, go for the dozen. Because, you know, as I, I learned, I, I, and I saw it coming before it happened, and unfortunately, it happened just the way I saw it coming. Because, I mean, let's face it, part of our job is to evaluate risk for other people. If we can't evaluate it for ourselves, why are we even in this business? And uh, 
if you have most of your business coming from few people, it means that a huge chunk of your business can walk out of your office the moment either there is an adverse result or that person is frustrated with how things are going or doesn't like what you're telling him or any number of other things, and it can become a disaster to a small practice. So it seems to me that more clients, each of whom are receiving fewer services, make you much more flexible, make you much more likely to weather a storm, and incidentally, give you a greater referral base because if those dozen people who need fewer services are happy with you, one of them is more likely to have a friend who will also need your services. So right. don't underestimate absolutely. the value of the little client. Well, yeah, and absolutely. And I think additionally, when you're able to offer these unbundled options, especially you know with the lead generation model, as we go back to earlier, where you know people are trying to get comfortable working with you to build that trust for the relationship because they don't have experience or someone to tell them that, hey, you know, you're the man to work with, or woman in that case, uh, that anything you can do to make it a little bit easier for them to get started in the process and start working with them and give them that opportunity to experience your services firsthand is going to make them, you know, all the more comfortable. And so when you're able to start with someone and start with, let's say, you know, rather than have them having to come up with the full retainer and it goes straight into the traditional, where you can say, well, what we could do is we could start with unbundled legal services. I can draft this petition. It'll be more, and you start out in more of a pay-as-you-go unbundled approach, then it's a lower uh, uh, pain threshold uh, financially for them. It's something that, that more people can attain and get started with. And it's a lot easier for them to just say, yes, let's get started. And then, you know, as Matt Beach was sharing in, in other podcasts, uh, which, you know, we have here in the, in the podcast, uh, a great majority of those clients that start with unbundled that maybe couldn't afford it up front or maybe just didn't have the comfort level to be investing a greater sum uh, to get started when they hadn't met you or don't have experience yet. But they, they start with that bundle. Later on, will then transition when they, you know, file the paperwork themselves or proceed uh, accordingly and then realize maybe they're in over their head and from that point on, find the resources financially or make the decision at that point to retain you for full representation. Has that, has that also been your experience as well, that many of the clients will go from a bundle and then transition to more full representation Sometimes models? Sometimes that is, that is very true. And I've had clients go the other way too, but that, that is also good because it gives me an opportunity to maintain an existing relationship and have a very appreciative client who recognizes that he's something other than a cash cow I'm trying to squeeze until he's exhausted. Um, the other thing that I tell people, by the way, that I forgot to mention is my standard retainer is $2,000. And when I'm operating on a traditional service, I will make, I, I have what I call a retainer level maintain policy. The idea being that at least in theory, although in practice I'll cut people breaks, um, the retainer needs to be topped off month to month to make sure that the fuel tank is full for the journey. Um, when it's unbundled service, I'll tell them I'll put the retainer in half. I'll just charge a $1,000 retainer, and there is no need to maintain a level because essentially if the meter runs out, you put another coin in the meter at that point. And so it gives them another opportunity to afford me. This is an expensive service. I want to make sure that to the extent that we don't break people, I don't want to break people that we don't have right. and, and to make sure that they're making an informed decision because I always want people to know what they're getting into with my firm. So I've got a separate fee agreement for unbundled service that recognizes the possibility of upgrade. 
And uh, because as long as you don't work into the red other than by choice, because that's always a dangerous thing to do. Right. Maybe we could expand on that a little bit. Is, is how, what is your process and, and what, from your experience, um, how do you determine uh, which clients uh, you work with on a bundle basis versus full representation? Because, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of cases that are just not going to be a fit. There's going to be a lot of clients that are not a fit to or wouldn't be served by working with you on an unbundled basis. So what are some of the things that you do to identify or determine which clients that you're, you're open and willing to do work, or which cases you're open and willing to offer unbundled and which ones aren't so that you can obviously protect your liability, but also make sure that you're offering the best, best option and not, uh, not overreaching the certain cases? Well, generally, I go the opposite way, and I'll say to the client, let the, cli- you know, let the client make that decision. You know, I tell people, I think of myself mainly as dealing in informed clients and protected clients, mainly because they're usually one and the same thing. And so once I've gone over it with them, unless I think that there is something that I think would be a very good idea not to go unbundled and adoptions are pretty well at the top of the list, um, I want to make sure that once I've gone through things with them, let them make the call. Because very often, once I've described it, and I use the race car analogy, um, they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm not comfortable. I know I've got a temper or I'm terrified. I think I need you there. But they nevertheless appreciate that I gave them the option and that I really am thinking of them before I'm thinking of myself. I mean, to my mind, that's right. what separates exactly. the professional from the non-professional is whose interests are you serving? I mean, everybody has the right to be compensated for their work, but that's not the same thing as saying that I'm going to serve myself at the expense of my clients. I'm going to serve my clients and make a living doing it. It's such a core philosophy that, you know, when we're, when we're looking at evaluating which attorneys to work with and having those conversations and getting feedback from clients, that really comes through as the most important thing that sticks with the client when we get feedback from them and also in our conversation with attorney is what is your underlying purpose? What is the underlying focus of your practice? Is it, is it to serve your clients first and, and ultimately in service to them you benefit or is it how can you be served by them? You know, how can you get the most amount of money out of each case? I mean, there's all types of, you know, you know, con- concerns, complaints, you know, about certain practices of attorneys that, you know, they, they really focus more on the money and not how to give the best option to the client. Well, uh, and that's such problem. a valuable... I mean, I'm not, I'm not a monk. I want to make a lot of money doing what I do. Um, so I, and and I'll, I'll tell clients, I have no problem making a good living doing what I do. I have a girl in college. Um, I didn't get into this field to be poor, but I'm also clean-shaven, although right now I'm growing a beard, so I have to be careful of that one. I said, I'm clean-shaven, so I have to look at myself in the mirror at least once daily. And I have to like what I see. So it is not exclusive to make a good living offering a valuable service. And it just it comes down to once you've dealt with the business bottom line, because, look, I have to pay my people, I have to pay my mortgage, I have to pay my office rent, um, whether I am making money or not, but they're not exclusive. You don't have to choose, do I make a living or do I serve the client? You make a living serving the client. That's right. And that always seems to be one of the primary reasons that we see that attorneys are starting to offer these unbundled options, or at least began, it was, it was from a solution-focused approach to how do I get this person from A to Z 
when this person either, uh, you know, wants to handle parts on their own or just doesn't have the financial resources for me to take them all the way from point A to Z, how can I still serve this client and get them through the process with the, the limited resources they have? And then that's when they start to get creative and come up with these types of unbundled approaches where they're doing documents, preparing their written declarations, and then guiding them through uh, the process as best they can uh, in the lowest, you know, with the least amount of time so that they're limiting the amount of financial exposure to the client. Innovation matters. Yes. We can talk maybe a little bit about technology in a minute. Maybe what would be helpful is uh, would you be able to give maybe like a hypothetical client uh, and just kind of walk through that, that elects to use more of an unbundled approach? And let's say you're going to be kind of drafting documents for them and they're going to be filing and representing themselves, like how you navigate uh, servicing them uh, differently than you would if you're working with them for a presentation and more of like a coaching role and kind of walking them through it. Do you have checklists that you give them? Do you give them instruction over the phone? Do you prep them um, for hearings? I mean, maybe walk through a little bit of that. Well, I mean, it's what I, what I want to do first and foremost is make sure that these clients are in our system every bit as much as anyone else because the last thing that any growing practice can afford is for things to fall between the cracks, unbundled or bundled. Um, and one of the things that I've discovered as I grow is that the rules change the bigger you get because the more people are involved in your practice, the more variables there are. You can't do everything. You can't actively have your hand in everything, but you need an error checking system. You need to make sure that you have a diary system, that you use the diary system, and that you do not put a file away, unbundled or bundled, whether without having diaried a next action date, even if it is only a no-cost ping to the client saying, hey, just wanted to check in, no cost for the call, see how things are going, and uh, whether there are any problems that we can address before they get bigger. Um, people tend to appreciate that sort of thing. And so, for example, in, you, you, in terms of an example of an unbundled client, so here we'll have somebody who has distribution of property issues um, as, and, and perhaps support issues as well as divorce. It all begins with the meeting. You want to lay out a course of action um, and make sure that the client is in a position to understand First of all, his or her own power, because especially if you're dealing with somebody who is accustomed to feeling powerless, especially if there is an opposing counsel on the other side who thinks to run roughshod over a pro se party, um, you want to take away the mystery. You want to you want to explain how the game is played in the sense that look, this attorney on the other side, you're only ever going to see game face. This person could rescue puppies and weep at a sad movie, and you're going to see the ruffian in the courtroom. Um, so he, he, and we, so we, we create a course of action that is calculated to best achieve their goals after reviewing their goals, which sometimes is half the battle, because if somebody's coming into my office saying, I want his head on a silver platter, and I want him to pay for the platter, then that's a good opportunity to wave <laughs> this person and say, warn them of what a fight on principle does. Um, so I, I have a client right now who, and I'm not giving any confidential details here, um, we're in process. There is a, an award of support to her right now. Um, 
she was living in the marital uh, residence, and uh, the problem is she couldn't afford it, and she wanted to get out from under it. The problem is it's upside down on the mortgage. And so what we have done for her is to draft, there was a motion that we drafted, for example, and explained to her how to present it, um, that gave us, that, that, that gave her assured cooperation from him to put it on the market and that she could list it for sale. When she discovered that uh, it was upside down on the mortgage uh, because realtors w- wouldn't touch it um, without some authorization from the bank, she came in, she sat down, talked to us, and I, I talked to me, and I went through with her what she was dealing with, how to deal with him, how to try to sell it to him, make sure to document what you do because the judge wants to see um, how how you have fulfilled his order. Um, and then whatever it is she needs, fortunately, she is very together, she's very organized, and I always encourage clients to be organized telling them, look, the the more organized you are, the less organized you need to pay us to become. And even my bundled service clients, I'll tell them, look, I want to turn you into my clerk because you don't have to pay you by the hour to do things that don't require me or my staff to take care of. And while an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and I don't want you to use false economy, if I can find opportunities for you to do something to help yourself, then it may be the best paying job you've ever had in the form of the money you save. And I emphasize that particularly on, in, with unbundled clients. So right. I'm, I've got a diary system in place. I'm keeping tabs on the cases. Um, we've got a system. I, I want to make sure to take a team approach so that anybody who calls in, anybody who picks up the phone can at least get a rapid capsule summary of where the case is procedurally, what the big issues might be right now, and what we're expecting next so that we can give the client an informed response. I'm also very often going to, whenever possible, um, have my paralegal help out because she's $85 an hour instead of $225 an hour. Um, and, we, right. and when it comes to certain basic document drafting, I'm going to have her do that instead of somebody who costs more. It makes us more efficient. It makes us more cost effective. And uh, it still serves the client. So I don't have a whole lot of automation. It's still very much hands-on. It's just a question of whose hands are on it, ours or the client's. I think I gave a, I gave a good examples of you know, how you work with the clients and, and right. take into consideration their organization, walking through you know, the pieces that, uh, that are most important, make sure they understand what they're going up against, uh, whether it be another party's attorney and these, these types of things, so that you know, they're best equipped to be effective in what is it they're trying to do yeah, uh, if they are going to need to be doing I, things on their own. Yeah, I, I try to tell clients overall, I want to make sure that they understand the judge's perspective as much as possible because what I'll tell people is in the event of a dispute, the only person in the situation whose opinion really matters is the judge because the judge is the one with the authority to make it stick. So the more you can adopt the judge's perspective as your own, Um, the more likely that the judge is going to look at your proposed solution as the best way for the 
the court to carry out its own priorities as compared to that of your ex. You know, I don't. I tell people all the time, I don't want to create a war where there doesn't have to be one. Um, but I want to make sure that you are not undercutting yourself. I also have articles online that I'll sometimes even point bundled clients toward um, that might give basic information. For example, I took the basic advice that I give to clients on the eve of trial, and I turned it into an article that I can point people toward and say, hey, if you want the advice I give clients um, before trial and you want it for free, read that article, and if you have any questions about it, I'll be glad to answer them. Um, so I, right. I try whenever possible to demystify it because really fear and anxiety make people do dangerous things. And to the extent that I can right. remove the fear factor and give them permission to be nervous, because I'll, I'll often have occasion to tell clients, look, if you're not nervous, I have to ask if you're really paying attention. So it's okay. Family division court judges usually are neither idiots nor jerks. And what they prioritize is very clear in the law. Let's go through it, and if you have questions, I'll answer them. Otherwise, if, if, if I can get them to take an overall sensible approach to their cases where they're forgetting every television program they ever saw, they're leaving technicalities for criminal court. Um, and rec in, in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of equity in a family courtroom. So you want to make sure that you're presenting a case and your client is presenting a case in a way that doesn't make the judge go, oh, come on, but instead makes the judge somewhere in his or her head go, well, that seems reasonable to me. As long as you're dealing with somebody who is a composed, controlled person who recognizes that the worst and most dangerous thing that you can bring into a courtroom is a sure and certain sense that you're right, that person is the person who's going to get the most out of unbundled services. The client who starts telling you about how the fix is in and, uh, the, the, and starts spouting conspiracy theories, not so much. Um, I mean, I'll tell people all the time, especially unbundled clients, if you want sound and fury, take the muffler off your car. You're going to get all the smoke, you're going to get all the noise, but you're not going to get there any faster, and you are going to raise a stink. <laughs> again, I don't know if right. I answered your question somewhere in there, but if I didn't ask it again, and I'll, I'll try and do better. No, that's a, really, and that's a really good perspective to give clients going in there to, to really make sure, because, you know, because a lot of times, they're very emotionally involved oh, in the you know, pursuing custody, especially in family law. It can be a, can have a more emotional situation. So you know, they're oftentimes without proper coaching, they're quick to you know badmouth the other party and in the best interest of the child if they were to look at it from a more objective, logical, reasonable standpoint. And so giving them that preparation, giving them that that perspective, can really help them kind of zoom out a bit and try to figure out you know from from a less attached component uh, perspective what's really going to be the best fit for their family and for their kids. I try whenever possible to give them the perspective of the judge and, and reassure them that a custody right. case, for example, um, that any case, it is not about who shouts the loudest. It is not about who whispers the last. And that judges generally don't want to get involved in the soap opera of things. Um, you know, black and white perspective is not going to help you because the judge doesn't share it. 
And what I'll usually have occasion to do, especially with unbundled clients, is I, I had occasion early in my career to work as an arbitrator um, in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, which includes Pittsburgh. Any young attorney with, uh, without a lot of experience in the early 1990s who wanted to make $125 cash for a morning's work could sign up as an arbitrator because cases that at the time were civil cases worth less than $25,000 didn't go in front of a judge or a judge and a jury. They went in front of a panel of three attorneys serving as arbitrators. And what I'll tell clients is having attorneys practicing at me really changed my perspective um, because you figure out what's going on very, very quickly. Um, there was an Allegheny County permanent uh, family court hearing officer who must have had the world's smartest cat because whenever I would say something that was probably pretty obvious, she would say to me, my cat knows that. So <laughs> just to emphasize that... You don't have to stand up and shout, she's lying, Your Honor, especially if they're representing themselves, that the court is going to be more impressed by you giving the other side the opportunity to speak, and they'll be listening every bit as much when you do, but that it's not about judges are stupid, and if you don't shout her down every single time she talks, well, the judge might believe this lying wench of an ex, and... You know, sometimes you can't protect people from themselves, but the more you can demystify it, and they say a, a good lawyer knows the law, and a great lawyer knows the judge, and whenever I can, I try to be a great <laughs> lawyer for people. Right. So, I mean, it, it's not a okay. perfect system, and the fact is, look, if you're driving the race car on your own, the sudden, the sudden move you've got only your own reflexes, but that's one of the reasons why, past a certain point in a case, people will often bring us in. Right. Okay, great. Um, and so maybe just switch gears one more time. Uh, sure. One of the things that uh, in most recent history, for, for better or for worse, and certainly more likely for better, uh, your practice has been growing, and you've been bringing on more associates on the line of, you know, taking on leads and bringing on more clients. Um, what are the types of, I think you mentioned the diary, and, you know, I think you have a back-end uh, technology what are the thing? What what are some of the systems that you use to be effective when you start dealing with a higher volume of clients to be able to track kind of where they're at? Uh, I think my case is the one you're using the technology. Yeah, I use my what, case. What kinds of systems do you use? Well, actually, it, the, the system that's the system that is most important. As soon as you've got associates working with you, the system that's most important is the interpersonal relationships and the workflow in the office. One of the reasons that I take use the first meeting as an opportunity to go through everything with the client is I want to make sure that since I can't handle every case, every case alone, and, and delegation does not come naturally to me, I want to make sure that anybody in my office who is picking up that file can start with the initial notes, take a look at the basics, and take a look at the to-do list so that we know exactly what is being expected of us um, for the client's benefit. Um, and it gives us a benchmark to see right. whether things are done or whether things are not done. And occasionally, my associates, God bless them, they've pried work out of my cold, dead hand in order to make sure that it gets done. <laughs> because I used to have a thing that, that 
my senior associate started referring to as the drawer of doom, which is wherever I put stuff when I needed it off my desk, but didn't want it too far out of my sight. And things wound up getting buried in there. So instead, when we're transitioning to this now, one of the things that bringing our second associate on and growing after Christmas, um, because things always start up again after Christmas, that's when I started to say, all right, we need a good tickler system. And my case offers one, but there are other software packages out there that do it too. Clio is one of them. Rocket mm-hmm. Lawyer is another. I don't know as much about them because I obviously went with my case. But any kind of a management mm-hmm. system that lets you diary the, ver- the, the, the dates that are important, the things that have to happen with reasonable specificity, and then put the file away. Um, because the same senior associate who identified the drawer of doom started having the office of doom. And it doesn't take a whole lot for clients to feel that you're not being responsive or, God help you, missing deadlines. Use the diary system. Make sure that there is somebody there whose job is to make sure that things don't slip between the cracks. And actually, a lot of that isn't even me. It's my wife acting as administrator because she's got more time in the day while I'm busy developing the new clients and making sure that we're setting strategies, addressing issues. And and by the way, I never bill for two things. I never bill to talk about billing with a client because that's just kind of disgusting. And I never bill, and I make sure that they're aware of this. And I will never bill to talk about either issues with my staff or issues about how the case is being handled. And I'll also very often throw in freebies so that they can get a call from the guy whose name is on the letterhead, making sure that they're being taken care of and there's no charge for the call. Um, But the diary system is the foundation of it, making sure that calls get returned, making sure that issues get addressed, making sure that uh, correspondence is returned. And it's hard. I mean, any, any practitioner whose practice is growing knows how easily things can slip between the cracks. And so that's one of the reasons that getting a good workflow in the office, one of the things that I've started to do that we never had to do before was to assign a responsible associate for individual cases that it's up to them in part to be the ones to make sure that if everybody's waiting for somebody to do something, they're the somebody being waited for just to remove the ambiguity. I mean, we have a very right. new relationship here. Everybody talks. And one of the things that I think sets us apart is I'm not leaving my associates to sink. Because, I mean, client service begins in the office, which is why I'm focusing on this as a partial answer to your question. Um, I brought my associates in offering them mentorship. It, it, it costs you a little bit in time, and it pays dividends over and over and over again. Um, my senior associate came to me two years, three, I think just two, licensed for just about maybe two and a half years. She had done some family law on her own. Her work product was good, but she was very, very inexperienced. Um, and I told her, I want to see you succeed. I want to see your career grow. I want to see you make a lot of money with me. I want to make a lot of money off of you, too. Um, If you have a question, if you're asking me the same question for the fifth time, ask it. Because 
the clients need that level of service. And it has paid dividends. Um, my, my senior associate said she's talked to some of her colleagues who are terrified from her law school year, who are terrified to go to motions court because the partner handed them a motion, said, here, present this. They've never even met the client. They know nothing about the case. I encountered one young attorney in motions court, and when the judge asked what she charged by the hour for an award of counsel fees, the lady didn't even know. They didn't even tell her what they were charging for her. I, I figure I want I want people who are coming with me to succeed, to be of tremendous value to my clients, and to be so happy working here that my training doesn't walk out the door, and it gives me something else that I could never buy. They care. They give a damn. When a client calls, they want to help. And it, it makes all the difference in the world. When you're marketing, you want... Your best sales force are satisfied clients. Right, so, exactly. They're ambassadors for your practice. Exactly. And so, and, and look, you're going to get bad reviews. Some people you can't help, no matter what you try to do, because they're coming in with expectations that are absolutely unreasonable, or the first setback, and they decide, oh, my God, this guy's got no clue. Um, you know, that's always going to happen, and the bigger you grow, the more certainty it, it, there is that it's going to happen, because let's face it, if you play Russian roulette long enough, sooner or later, the bullet is going to fire. And when you're dealing with the general right. public, it's inevitable. Um, I've got some bad reviews online. I hate them, but I've tried to be constructive. Mm. So my case, right. so, so just to recap, so the diary system is tremendously important. Follow-up is important. One of the things that I want to make sure of moving forward is that any file that is active doesn't go more than 30 days without something happening, even if it's only a ping to the client. Say, hi there, we're still here. Any developments? No news is good news. Great. Carry on. You need us. We're here. I mean, this has been just, just an incredible call. I mean, it's no surprise to any of us um, why you know, we're getting such good feedback from the clients we send you and why they've been so happy with your services and that you're doing so well uh, with the leads that we're sending uh, by offering these types of options and certainly with the philosophy you bring to, to serving these clients' needs. So uh, I know we're coming up to about an hour here on the call, so maybe what we could do is just ask you know, maybe one final question. If there's anything uh, you would like to suggest or maybe um, – one final piece of advice, either for being effective at offering unbundled legal services or working with leads that maybe attorneys that would be brand new to this or don't have the experience that you do um, could, could benefit from, uh, from a broad perspective. Well, I, I actually, I'll, I'll offer two as fast as I can. And the first one is a variation of what we've talked about, which is work on service. Try to innovate in ways that the larger firms don't. One of my philosophies of business that has worked out pretty well for me is that there are a lot of what I think of as dinosaur law firms out there where they got their business not through direct marketing, not through lead services or the web, but because the senior partner is the president of the local country club and he golfs with rich people who will turn to him and recommend other people to him. 
But when it comes down to that, no matter how, you know, sooner or later, dinosaurs get bigger and bigger and bigger, and then something comes along and eats their eggs, and it's very small, and it becomes very successful. And that's what I have been trying to be. The second thing is part and parcel of that is you have to, have to, have to have a good website uh, because there's a lot of junk. If you pretend to be a prospective client looking for information, looking to educate yourself and see who's out there, you're going to discover very quickly that you're going to be flooded with ad copy. People are going to want you to fill out forms. If you call the firm, you're not going to get a human being um, or you're going to get a secretary wanting to make an appointment for fee when all you want to do is just get some orientation and find something useful, and maybe then you'll be ready to hire an attorney and you'll know who to look for. So a highly user-friendly website that does not have an artificial, we're going to cram in as many searchable buzzwords as possible to boost you in the rankings until the thing looks like, um, look, looks like anything but a useful tool, what we do as attorneys is we create tools for others to use. It might be an unbundled client, it might be a judge, it might even be an opposing counsel who you want to buy into your position for the purpose of settlement. In this particular instance, the tool you're making is for the use of people who don't need you yet or have just discovered that they need you, and that means real, organic, informational content, user-friendly interface. Don't try to cram it so full that it's like a Halloween bag that's bursting from candy um, or a car so covered in bumper stickers that there is no message because they're, they try to be all messages. Um, be real. If anybody wants to see my version of that, feel free to take a look at my website. It is greensteinfamilylaw.com. Green like the color, Stein like a big mug of beer. And at the All Articles tab, you'll find my, my library index. The website performs extremely well, and the best part is it costs me no more than $50 a year because I built it on a WordPress.com blog platform, which also means I left comments open subject to moderation, which means other people add content for me when they ask questions of an informational nature that I can answer. So it becomes important because the person who gets the unbundled lead who is thinking of giving you a call is first going to check you out. They want to know who you are. Um, you have to sell yourself before you can sell your services. And if they like what they see, maybe you don't have to call them. Maybe they'll pick up the telephone because it does happen. It happens to me. Right. So I talk fast. I hope, right. I, I, hope I didn't talk too fast. This has been incredible, Michael. I, I want to first just, just thank you for taking the time and, and jumping on here. This has been a, a very enlightening call, and I'm sure uh, those that, uh, that partake and listen are going to get a lot of value from it. Uh, I just really appreciate what you're doing, as I said before, for, uh, for the clients that you've been working with and the options you've been providing them because there's a lot of folks that have come to you that most other firms that you've been able to serve that most other firms would turn away. And that's why, you know, when you talk about, you know, the small things that are eating those dinosaur eggs, those are the clients that are representing about two-thirds of the current marketplace. We've had a real shift, especially since 2008 and the emergence of the market, those that are able to find ways to serve that that ever-growing marketplace are certainly going to thrive in this next age uh, as opposed to the dinosaur attorneys that have been a little bit more inflexible and don't have the types of creative options 
are going to see uh, a little bit more, a little, little more of their eggs get eaten. Uh, I want to thank you for everything you're doing and uh, and leading the path as far as offering bundle services and finding uh, uh, great solutions for, for meeting people's needs financially and legally. Very good. Thank you. I appreciate what you're offering. It's certainly made a difference in my practice. All right. Thanks again for joining us on the call. For those of you listening, feel free to check out the podcast on iTunes. Uh, you can leave a rating, uh, subscribe to the podcast. So you're able to get an email uh, every time one comes out. And, uh, of course, share it with those that uh, you feel could benefit as well. So thanks again, Michael, for joining us on the call today. And we'll talk to you real soon again. Very good. Thank you. For more information about how our lead generation services can help you grow your practice, visit our website at www.unbundledattorney.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe so you get each new episode as soon as it's available. And leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Once again, thanks for listening. 